when we come in, they tell us, listen, it, it, it's a game. They break the rules and we catch them. They're yelling at each other. Uh, in your face, motherfucker. I got your bitch. I'm in your fucking house now. Yeah. Uh, uh. Face and oh, I've seen I've seen guys fight. I didn't like pull out a pen and go and stab the other guy. I was in the county jail and I saw this. Uh... Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm gonna be doing an interview with. James or Jim Michaels, and he is a correctional officer. He's also an, an author, and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, get in the interview. By the way, I just it's funny because I actually am semi-prepared, and yet I have a guy that just gave me a lecture in the comments that was like, bro, you got to get better prepared, man. You know, you have to stop saying. And also gave me a lecture on saying uh and um, and I'm, I, mean, I don't even think I do it that badly, but or that much. But anyway. So, uh, how long have you been? Well, well, first of all, where were you? Uh, where were you born? I was born in Michigan, um, the Metro Detroit area. So not Detroit exactly, about twenty miles west of it. Okay. Um, I mean, where was it? This is like a suburb, or is it own its own? Yeah, yeah, it was a suburb. Okay. Um, it was called a uh, Livonia. And you went to school there. Did you graduate high school there? Yep, graduated um, and went to college for criminal justice. And around that time, um, a friend of mine had recommended the uh, Department of Corrections. So I looked into it. Um, they required a certain amount of credits that I had. So, and you know, I wanted to be a police officer. That was my goal. So I figured this would at least be a stepping stone, possibly a career for me. All right. How long have you been um, a CEO? Seven years. Okay. So, I mean, and, the... and because I have to, uh, because I have to disclaim this, I'm not a spokesperson for the Department of Corrections. So, whatever opinions I may have does not reflect their opinion. Just All a right. disclaimer I have to put out there. Okay. Um, but I mean, so you started in the. You said you wanted to be a police officer, but you ended up being a uh, correctional correctional officer. And for seven years, are you still thinking about being a police officer or do you think this is pretty much it? Um, after a few years with the department and kind of, you know, you've seen all those news stories about the police shootings and whatnot. And me personally, I didn't want to put myself into that situation where I may or may not have to use a gun. So... Personally, I figured that being with, you know, being a corrections officer was safer than being a uh, police officer. That that doesn't seem right at all. But <laughs> I mean, but I, I know that there's not, you know, that much violence against, you know, uh, correctional officers in general. I mean, at least not in the feds. I don't know about about um, um, state prison, but, you know, in the feds, there's not usually that much that often do they get you know injured as opposed to being a police officer. Well, one of the advantages of being a corrections officer is that, you know, you come to know the inmates, you know, they're there for a while, you're there for a while. So you eventually kind of pick up what, you know, they, they pick up what I'm about, I pick up what they're about. So there's that kind of that rapport building that I don't know if they, I can't speak for police officers, but I feel like that maybe that's possibly lacking. Right. 
Well, yeah, because I guess every every situation is completely different. It's, you don't know the individual. Right. I mean, um, you saw probably, you know, a lot of the same COs over and over. So you kind of knew what to expect from them. Right. And then oh, they yeah, knew definitely. what you were about. So it was that, you know, I was like, okay. So you just kind of knew what your situation was going to be when they walked in. Just like right. I knew what my situation would be, depending on where I work, you know, I'll see certain inmates. I'll be like, okay, you know, this guy, he does this every day or he does that every day. So it becomes, you know, it becomes a routine. And I think that's the big advantage of being in corrections is the kind of just routine. So what, what does it take? Like, what are the requirements to be a, um, a correctional officer? Um, I can't, I don't remember exactly. Um, because I know that, you know, things have changed, but, um, you had to pass a physical test, take the academy. It's an eight week long academy. Um, and then I think they still, then they'll take you to another. So after the eight weeks, you're graduated and then they'll take you to, at least this is what happened when I started, um, things changed, especially with COVID. Um, and then we went to another facility where, you know, they really kind of gave us the more rundown. They gave us a tour and then of the prison we'd be working at. And then I from remember. there we I'm sorry. I was going to say, I remember the tours when we, we would, you know, they'd walk 15 or 20, um, you know, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, freshmen or, you know, newbies or whatever. They'd walk them in and they, you know, they're looking around. They wouldn't, they would be in plain clothes and they would kind of walk them around. Uh, well, no, sometimes they were dressed out, I think. I'm going to say most time they weren't, though. But yeah, they would walk them around. You could just see like you could you could even look at them and tell who was going to be an asshole, who was going to be okay. <laughs> you know, like some of them were just they they looked you know they looked scared. Like some of them would look scared, and some of them were looking like you know tough. And but yeah, I remember them walking around, and we were just like, oh my god, these fucking guys. This is this is going to be the new group, right? right my but, first day, my first day as. Um, as a rookie, I was nervous, but then I'm sitting in the unit and I'm just watching the guys kind of go about their business. And I'm like, okay. Cause you see, I mean, you see in like prison documentaries and whatnot, they go to like the absolute worst prisons in the world. Yeah. They make everything sound worse than it really is. You know, There's like, they'll say, you know, they will say in this prison, yeah, anything can be used as currency. From right. candy bars to hygiene, even contraband. And then you kind of walk in, they'll be like, three soups for, for you know, a, a stick of sausage. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, it, it's funny because, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, things pop off, but I mean, if there's just a, a ton of just non, you know, you know, it's not that there's just not that much anxiety all the time. You get into a routine and you go to the rec yard and you run or you walk and you come back and, you know, you go to lunch or you make a soup or you, you know what I mean? They do make it seem like you're just constantly on edge and guys are being attacked left and right. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I always think of it like this. I'm always like, it, it's just like a really tough high school. Yeah. Only, you know, and you get your group of guys and your buddies and you get into your routine and, 
you know, if you're not if you're not borrowing money from people or gambling or, you know, being disrespectful, I mean, you just don't have that much to worry about. Right. And uh, I can I, I get what you're saying. Uh, similarity, I would say, between us is that, you know, you start off very nervous, but then you just kind of get used to it. Like you're aware things can happen, but, you know, you know, like we don't sit there and we're just scared. Like, okay, you know, are, are they fighting? Are they fighting? Are they fighting? No, like I can sit there with my partner and we'll talk about the weather or a movie or, you know, what we're going to do on vacation. And then all of a sudden, you know, you'll hear like a radio call for a fight or you'll hear something, you know, and it just, it, it it's almost like a switch that turns on. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're in game mode and it's time to go. It's time to handle this. So what, so how long, so you went through the course, then they, they assigned you a prison. Do you have like, is there a, um, do you have like a buddy system or something? They don't just stick you into a, a cell block and say, here are these, there, here's 150 guys you have to watch. <laughs> no, uh, you shadow somebody for a little while. What's, is that nine, is that like two, three months or? Um, again, I don't know what's changed in that time. Um, when I started, I believe it was, man, maybe four weeks or so, maybe four to six weeks. Oh, okay. I was, I was thinking that probably a few months. Um, well, your, your probationary status goes for a year. Right. But, but I mean, I'm not worried about probation. I'm worried about how long do, when do I have to be in the unit watching 200 guys or 300 guys? Cause in, in Coleman, and this was at the, at the medium and the, the low, you know, they have each building's made up of, of four, I don't know what you, you would call them the state, but they're, they're like four units or pods, you know, mm-hmm. and, and in those, of course, they might have 150 guys or 180 guys and they've got two man and three man cells. And in the medium, they have doors, you know, um, and you have cells and you have a toilet and a sink in there. And in the in the low, you have like a cubicle. They're like a five foot wall, but there's no doors and everybody shares a bathroom. Um, But still, you've got you used to have when I first started, there was one CO for every unit. So every building had at least four guards in it. Then there were cutbacks and there was this and that. Then it became one co for every two units oh man now yeah so you right so you're sitting over here and guys would walk and go they go where's the co oh he's over he's next door so now you got to walk through this long hallway go to the other fight you got to find the guard i mean you got to find the co you literally you could go without actually and this is something that was different guys that would go to the state and come to the feds they would say you have almost no staff interaction. Like literally you could go months without ever talking to a staff officer or really yeah. you could, you could see one, like you might see them walking around in the distance, but you never really, they never really stop you. They never bother you. You're on a routine. The doors open, they walk out, they'll open a door and walk away. Like they don't very little interaction. And then a buddy of mine who said now it, it at, because of COVID, they, he said it's even worse. He said that they, they basically came in and they they kind of offered retirement to a whole bunch of senior um, correctional officers. And then they were giving like early retirement to some of them. And he said that 
that the most senior officer on the compound had 18 months. I wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon account. If you're interested in joining the Patreon account, it's got three tiers. The top tier, you actually get a different con man painting every single month. If you're already joined and you're already supporting me, I really appreciate that. If you haven't joined yet and you're interested in joining, I'm going to leave the contact information for Patreon in the description. Thank you very much for watching the video. Had been around 18 months. He goes, that's the most senior yeah. officer. And, and, you know, like you listen, he was telling me, he said, look, he said, they've, he, he was like, it's nothing like when I was there. He said, there's, they did a sweep and found like a hundred cell phones. They, they found, you know, um, uh, all, uh, all kinds of different weapons. He said that a guy was making hooch. He had climbed up in the drop ceiling in the bathrooms and it's drywall, but, and, and then literally there's a, there's a space this big. He said the guy had gotten through the, I mean, you know, it's it's where the uh, the vent is. And he'd gotten through there and he was making hooch and they just could not figure out for, for months now. They didn't understand, like, where where is this alcohol coming from? But first of all, you know, there's no sugar on the compound. So you, one, you have to sh steal the sugar or you have to melt down like, you know, um, like candy or something, jelly candy, or they have these different candies. Mm -hmm. Some of them have sugar. Anyway, he ends up falling through the drywall <laughs> in the bathroom and hurts himself. So he, he broke his leg or something. And so they oh. come in and he's laying there. There's drug. Because otherwise, I'm sure he would have scurried away. But they find him there. He's broken his leg. And he's they're like, there's, and then he had gallons and gallons and gallons of, uh, of hooch. But yeah, and, and uh, my buddy was telling me, he said, the problem is, he said the new COs don't have enough experience to understand what's happening. You know what I'm saying? Like they've been, they've been there six months or a year. They're not like the older guys who'd been there 20 years. They'd seen everything. Mm -hmm. They would be like, okay, check this, check this, check this. It's one of these four places or three places. The new guys have no clue. Right. I mean, you got out at a, at the perfect time, you yeah, know, yeah, because COVID, I mean, you know, nobody expected something like that. Right. I mean, it told, I mean, I can't get into, you know, what exactly it changed and stuff, but you know, it, it, it was scary. You know, it was very scary. Um, you know, I knew a lot of people that got sick. Um, we recently just had it about a month ago on my family. Um, and yeah, it would, it was something just kind of walking in there, you know, wearing masks and just, you know, it's, it's so hard to maintain the regulations that the CDC um, came up with, you know, right. like, I mean, out on the street in prison, I mean, we're all around each other all day, well, you know, look, so it's, 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 it's difficult. You know, 150 guys living in, or 180 in, in the, in the low living in a big room you know, you already have staph infection. You have any, if one, one guy gets sick, it's just next thing you know, it's everybody's sick. Right. And, and I was washing my hands. I'll, I'll I wash my hand 40, 50 times a day. Cause you know, you use the computers, you grab the doorknobs, you use, you know, just, you're using everything. You just can't help, but get sick. I mean, and so COVID 
that's why they let out so many, they were letting out so many guys, guys are in their fifties and six years old. And they're like, yeah, look, he, he'll, he gets COVID. He, he may die. So they'll put him on an ankle monitor and saying, go, go home. You know, what's funny about that is, you know, COVID was so weird. Like I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of guys in their seventies and eighties catch COVID and you know, personally, I thought, Oh, man, you know, it's nice knowing you. And then they come back two weeks later and they're fine. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. I got it. So I got it and my girlfriend got it. Mm-hmm. I was in bed for a week. Mm-hmm. Every time I, if I got up and would go to the bathroom and go get something to drink, I would have to lay back down. Cause I felt like I just run three miles. She laid in bed for two days and was like, yeah, I'm done with this. I can't lay in bed anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm okay. I'm, it's not that big of a deal. I, I've had a cold before and we had the exact same strain because I gave it to her. Right. She went fishing oh, and changed her, the, changed the brakes on her dad's car. I mean, <laughs> you know, cause that's just who she is, but yeah. And while she was sick, but I mean, it, it hits everybody different. I, I know a guy that was in great shape, got COVID and he died. And, you know, I know other people that I thought, this this dude's done like he's in horrible shape and he was perfectly mm-hmm. fine like he got it yeah. he was sick for like four or five days and said he coughed for another week or or felt achy for another week and he's fine it affected our family differently um all my kids had it about the same they each had like a 24-hour fever a cough and then you know the cough lasted a few days and they were fine you know um my wife got really sick the first two days i mean she had you know the fatigue the dizziness burning throat the cough um i was like the last one to get it i had one bad day i had you know like i started coughing one evening i was like oh well my turn and the next day i had like a horrible headache for four hours then i had um chills after that for about three hours and then I just had the cough that starts to subside. And then a few days later, my taste and smell fluctuated. Right. Which that was the one I was dreading because wow. my wife's a, wife's a very good cook. So, you know, I was like, I like to be able to smell and taste. Right. Well, so or were a lot of people in prison getting sick or? Um, cases have dropped, you know, I mean, it definitely fluctuated. You know, I mean, obviously um because you have so much asymptomatic people it's it's hard to keep track of it right you know i mean i know they really you know during those two years i'm not just saying that because i work for them i know they really you know tried to take every precaution they could yeah well i mean there's a it's a balancing act between being you know just unsafe creating an unsafe environment and then obviously just creating an environment where um you know, there's just so much interaction. There's just nothing you can do. Right. Right. Um, I know Coleman at one point, they were pu- actually putting guys out in the rec yard. Like they would have like a good building and a bad building. And then they were started, they would get guys and they would have them go to the rec center. And then they would, but the problem is that they would then have this building go into the chow hall. And then immediately afterwards, the good, the people that di- that weren't positive for COVID, they would go to the chow hall. It's like, well, you know, now we're in the chow hall touching things and doing this. And 
you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, there's so many, it, you know, just, like I said, it's just not, it's just almost impossible to, to slow it, you know, to stop it or slow it down or, or be safe in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what types of institutions or prisons have you worked at? Like what levels you had told me about the different levels? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, one, two, four, and five. What, what does that um, I've, mean? I've never dealt with five. That's like top maximum security. And right. those guys are, you know, it's like the guys at the pen for you. Right. You know, and then um, four is also max. Two is like a medium. Then one's minimum. There. Okay. There's no one. What you're saying. One is like a camp. There's no, no. Um, one is like. Um, I feel like you skipped like something. Pole barns. Like what? And pole barns. What is that? Like um, buildings with like uh, hallways and cubes. You know, we got cubes. Okay. And then the other levels, it's like more of a dormitory style with, you know, your own room, um, one bunkie or celly. Okay. However, whichever vernacular. I always said celly. I always said Sally. Um, all right. So what, I mean, what's, what's a normal day like? I mean, for me, it's most days, thankfully are going to work. You know, you meet your partner, um, you know, you do rounds, check for contraband. I mean, it's all standard stuff, you know? You just kind of follow by the uh, the schedule of the day. Um, they go to chow, they go to yard, they go to the call outs. Um, you know, you authorize them to leave, you know. And I mean, it's really, it, it's most days, thankfully, are uneventful, you know. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, you know, right. yeah, it's slow, it can be monotonous, but. You know, it's better than having to respond to some. You know, having to respond to something violent where you know somebody got hurt or you know a staff person got hurt or whatever. Right. You know? I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't look for excitement when I'm in there. Yeah, I've talked to a couple of CEOs that like like they would rather work at the pen because they they were like, "There's always something happening." Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, to me, I'm. I wouldn't want to be anything to be happening. You know what I'm saying? I. No thanks. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's different personalities that work there. You know, everybody's yeah. different. Some really, you know, they, you know, for them it's like a thrill. You know, and they like to kind of, you know, be in those situations where you got to think on your feet and you got to, you know, figure this out. Maybe there's somebody you have to, you know, get physical with and stuff. You know, just I think it's just more the confrontational personality. You know. Right. Yeah. Me, I'm some- more more passive something happens i'm going to respond to it you know yeah there's um yeah you could always tell that there were there were the ceos that that were just like you know this is just a job you know what i mean like like i just want to come here do my eight hours go home get paid i i would rather you know i don't want anything to happen like i just everybody just behave and that's it and then you had the other COs who were like, it was like their mission to make everybody's life as miserable as possible. 
to, you know, to for the smallest infraction, shake you down or give you a hard time and, and talk to you like you're a dog. And just, you know, it, those were the guys that was just like, you know, you just avoid them. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but yeah, there was, there were, there were a couple guys like that uh, or a couple, there was, there was multiple guys like that. It was so funny too, because I had a guy, I had a CO one time I'd walked up, you know, you're not supposed to go into different units. Right. And I'd walked up to the unit, to this unit looking for my buddy. And I went and I looked in the window, but I didn't touch the, the, you know, the front door had a window on it. I didn't touch it. I just went and I went up, but I just put my hand like this, but I didn't actually touch the window. If anything, I might've touched the metal, but I went and I kind of looked and I leaned back and the CO was inside because I wanted to see if the CO is there before I tried to go in. And I was like, oh, turned around. He comes bolting out. <laughs> you inmate, get over here. And I was like, yes, sir. And I was actually in the drug program at the time. And you couldn't <laughs> break any rules. And he uh, he's like, I want you to clean this window. And I was like, um, okay, where's the, uh, where are the cleaning supplies? Go, you get the, um, uh, what do they call them? Um, orderly get the head orderly and i was like okay can i go i can go in the unit I mean, so i have this whole thing where i'm doing this whole um you know absolutely yes sir no problem no problem he wanted me to buck so bad he was desperate for me to say anything anything negative and i was just like yes sir no sir you know and you this and you touch that window and that's my that's my window i said you are absolutely right i don't know what i was thinking you're going to clean this. And, you know, I said, listen, nobody's more upset about it than me. I said, I assure you, it was absolutely I was it, out of character for me. And I apologize. <laughs> I personally don't think I actually touched the window, but I hear you. They, if there's some fingerprints, they, they may be mine. Let me get the orderly. I mean, he, you know, he didn't know what to do. When I finally was leaving, he actually stopped. He goes, I don't want to hear you walking around telling everybody I'm an asshole. I said, no, sir, yeah, you were you were right. And you were, and I mean, he was desperate for me to to argue with him. I was like, nope, not gonna do it. If um, that had been me, say, you know, I'm working where I'm working, I'm seeing you looking through the window. I mean, I, I may have may have like leaned over the desk so you could see me, or I was like, I would have like stepped in front of you, like through the window and just gone like, Yeah, what's up? Like, have a good day. <laughs> oh no, this guy. They have, you know, <laughs> you know, all the, all the COs get nicknames. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've got a guy named Sniper or we had, sorry, I don't know if he's still there or not. We had a guy named Sniper. I think he was, a, he was a sniper in like the military. Um, they had a guy named Family Guy who I, I shit you not. He looked exactly like Family Guy. <laughs> um, you know, and they all, they, we had a guy, uh, CO called Keep It Real because he would, He'd talk to you as soon as you started. You go, you know, somebody would say, "No, I, I didn't do that." He, come on, you ain't keeping it real. Come on, keep it real, man. And so he got it the name nickname, "Keep It Real." Um, do you have a nickname? Um, no. Mike, because <laughs> of my last Mike. name. Yeah, because oh. yeah, because right. Michael. Everybody says Mike. We had a guy. Listen, what's so funny is when the COs would call the call the inmates by their nickname. Yeah. Instead of saying like Johnson, get over here, they'd go, porn star, come here. And I'd be like, did that did he just fucking call that guy porn? Did he call porn star porn star? Are you serious? And they would do it all the time. So I mean, I mean definitely, I mean, you know, prisoners are not the most uh 
politically correct people. So, yeah. you know, you, you got to choose which, you know, if you're going to go by nicknames, you got to really be uh, so careful what you might say. Um, yeah. I always love Gordo. There's been, there's been a couple of times where like, I'll say like, you know, if I'm somewhere where there's a lot of, um, like a lot of workers, like the chow hall or something, you know, I'll say to somebody, hey, uh, uh, is Johnson here? And they're like, who? Uh, Johnson, is he here? Johnson, oh, um, Alabama. Is Alabama here? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's in the back. I'm yeah, like, yeah. dude, dude, you've known him for years. I don't know this dude's name. I don't know. <laughs> you know how many pookies I know? Right. You know, there, pookies, Alabama, there's ATL, there was... I always love the there would be uh, the fat guys are always named like Gordo. <laughs> Bald guys are like um God, what do they call them? Uh um Malone or whatever Bald is. Um what was the other one? Oh, I know a black the black guys will be like they'll have give them black man. Black man. What's your name? Black man. But <laughs> I don't know if I can do say that. It's all right. No, black man no. <laughs> Let um, me see your ID. Yeah. Smith. <laughs> um, I used to always love it when, you know, the CO would be in the unit and the inmates would call and, and say, you know, hey, 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 Cox, Cox. I always ended up with Cox. And Cox, Cox, and I go, yeah, what's up? And they go, yo, uh, uh, get, you know, Alabama. And I go, well, what does he look like? Uh, he's a black guy. Okay, bro. With dreads. All right. You're not. Okay. What's, he got golds. He got golds. Listen, man. That's every, that's 90% of the black guys in the unit. Dreads, <laughs> gold, black. What do you, help me out here. He got shot with an AK-47. He got, oh, you know, <laughs> now I know. Yeah, it's, uh, the nicknames are hilarious. Um, right. But, uh, so, well, so, you've been doing it seven years, but I mean, I know that you started writing, because we, you and I talked like, was it was a year or so ago. Maybe about two, that, yeah. I it was, I, you said it, I think it was a year. I feel like it was probably two years ago that we probably talked, but I feel like, but I bet it could be wrong. Um, but you had written, uh, you'd written a, um, a, you know, Brom, I, I want to say urban novel, but it's not. I mean, it's uh, you'd written a, a fiction novel about a character that grew up like in a bad neighborhood. Is that correct? Right. And we talked about that. What? So why did you start writing that? That that kind of has some is it kind of aligns with your story, your personal story, doesn't it? A little bit. No, um, am I wrong? Not my personal story. It was actually kind of like a mix of a lot of other guys' stories. Um, so I I've always been an avid reader, and you know I was kind of you know I was I was at my job and I was like. I was going through a period where I was trying to figure out like new challenges for myself, you know, just kind of build myself as a person. And um, I decided, you know, why don't I write a book? You know, that'd be something cool to do. And the idea came to me because um, originally it was supposed to be, it was going to be a prison novel. Right. And the character was going to be somebody who just got mixed up in, in the street life goes to jail, um, you know, he, the atmosphere gets to him, but then it gets to a point where he finds a redemption. Um, but, 
you know, I also knew about guys like I knew about guys like uh, like yourself, um, Michael Francis, if you know, if you've heard of him, yeah. um, Larry Lawton, you know, just these guys who are, you know, like, like yourself, like, you know, bright guys, a lot of potential. And they just kind of, you know, just used it for the wrong purposes. And then they, you know, they got caught and then they got out and now they use it to go down a different road. So that's what that was like the message I wanted to send to people because, you know, and also like I've talked to some guys, you know, I have conversations with these guys. There's a lot of guys in prison that are very bright and you wonder like, man, like, what went you wrong? know, I mean, you could be like, a, you know, you could be running your own business somewhere. And so that's what my character represents is that uh, misused, misused potential, if that makes sense. Right. And then, so I started writing his story, um, and um, I'm 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 what they call a pantser. So I have no idea what I'm what what's going to happen in the next step of the book. So I'm writing the book, and I realize that it's going to be a long one. So I, I decided to break it up, and then I had other ideas start to come to me. So, you know, I went, I published my first book, and then I started working on a second book, which was actually. Um, a whole different story, you know. Same character. More, I'm sorry. Is it the same character? Different character. Yeah, that one's more of a. Um, uh, it's a lot. I mean, you know, crime thriller. Yes, it's a. It's like a mafia thriller, romance. Um, uh, you know, action, suspense. You know, just kind of a little bit of everything. Noir. Um, and you're, are you self-publishing these or did you, did you try and go like, how did you, what type of a publishing route did you take? I tried to go traditional, um, the first time around, you know, I, at this point I'm like a total novice. I have a manuscript I'm throwing it around. It's not even edited. I'm throwing it around to all these different agents and nobody's picking it up. So, you know, a year goes by. And I realized, okay, I'm, I'm really wasting my time here. Like, I want to get this thing out here now. I have others. I, at that point, I was working on my second book. And I was like, okay, it's, let's let's just make this happen. Let's get this published. So I went on Amazon and, um, you know, I learned the step-by-step process. It was definitely uh, a learning experience, a lot of trial and error. Right. And, you know, but now I've got, you know, two books published on Amazon. Um, did, are, did you narrate it? Do you have it on Audible? No, not yet. Um, that's definitely in the future. You know, um, I know that's a very popular thing nowadays, um, especially because, you know, we're entering it. You know, our society is more and more busy. You know, it's right. hard to find time to kind of just sit down and read. Yeah, I, I'm like, I actually have a, a, a guy. Um, I can give you his phone number. And he he did he, almost all of my books. And he just, you know, we just split the revenue. Like I didn't have to do anything. I, I certainly don't think it it takes away from any sales from mm -hmm. my printed book. But he did all of the, you know, all the narration, put it up for me, uh, everything. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't generate a ton of money, but it, it's, it generates probably $350, $400, you know, a month. And of course he gets half of that. Right. Um, so, which is you know, which is great. Like you get a check for $180 or, 
you know, 150 or 210 or whatever. Like that's that's money that I wouldn't have gotten. And I didn't have to do anything. Right. Uh, it's the residual and, you know, income. Right. Exactly. And then, of course, now, you know, it, when you someone pulls up your book, they, they do have that option because let's face it, a lot of people are just not going to read. And right. also you can do things on Audible where they actually you can pay for them to actually do like advertising for you. Mm -hmm. um, we've done that a few times. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's it's definitely something I would look at, especially since it doesn't cost anything. Right. Um, it's like uh, I was going to say I was contacted by uh, this company called um, uh, Jelly Smack. And yeah, it, it sounds silly, um, but actually I was told about Jelly Smack and then I was also contacted by them. But I just never really looked into it. And what they do is they take your, if you're a YouTuber, they take your existing content and they cut it up for Facebook. And then they, they, they will make a channel for you. And if you don't already have an existing, you know, um, Facebook page, they'll, sorry, they'll make a page for you. And then they start putting it out on, on uh, Facebook for you. Like, I don't have to do anything. It's already available and I don't have to do anything. And then they, if it works out, they'll send you a check on the, the other influencer that I talked to, um, or YouTube or whatever you want to call them. Um, she, she said, look, she, you know, she had a meeting, they cut her stuff up. They came back. They said, we can do it. Next thing you know, she said a month later, they're cutting me checks. She said, I didn't have to do anything. I had like one meeting and a phone call. She's like, that's it. So it's the same thing with that audible. Like if you already got two books, well, that's income you're probably missing by not making yeah. a phone call. Yeah, um, the problem is a lot of these guys, they, so, you know, you got two different, the guys that want the money up front. And then you have guys that are, say, look, I'll, I'll do it and we'll just split it. Because right. Pay up front for this guy, for me to pay up front, it would probably be thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, I was like, I just don't have that. I'm just not going to, I don't have that to invest in order to make that money back. If I make that money back over the course of a year or two, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And I didn't really think much of it, the idea anyway. Right. And the next thing you know, I'm getting, I said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And next thing you know, I'm getting checks being cut. You know, that's sort of what, um, th that's actually why I wanted to go with traditional publishing at first was because, you know, obviously they take a cut of the proceeds, but you know, they do a lot of the work that you don't know how to do. So you can focus on, um, you know, what you're good at. Right. And they can take care of the rest probably get like 85 percent, i believe um Here, the, here's the thing though i've had i have had a traditional book published by skyhorse publishing i mean it, it mm -hmm. was in it was in barnes and nobles you know it's mm -hmm. the i we optioned like the rife rights to the story the, the whole thing and it keeps being optioned and it sells and honestly like once i think it's like once every six months or something i get a check from them other than the initial advance that I got in in prison, which was nothing, there was like thirty five hundred bucks, or was it was it twenty five hundred bucks? I think it was thirty five hundred dollars. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, which was a huge amount of money in prison. Right, uh, right. I was about to say. Yeah, which here's you know, a fortune. Yeah, it was a fortune. Um, other than that, honestly, I get checks from them now. Every let's say every six months for. 150 200 bucks like i've overall i've made way more money self-publishing with amazon than i ever did 
you know, with that going traditional with um, Skyhorse. Right. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, with, um, with Amazon, with self-publishing, you know, you do learn, there's definitely a lot of more skill building that comes into play. I mean, you know, like this right here, I never would have thought I'd be doing, um, you know, podcasts. I right. think that happened. I thought I could just, you know, my plan was to give it to the company and they'll do all the promotion and I'll just get a nice check every now and then. But, you know, that, you know, but now I do it on my own and, you know, you have to get more creative. You have to right. wake up early and you got to, you know, you have to put on a lot of hats. Yeah. You know, well, you know, like I woke up at uh, three o'clock this morning and I was like, ooh, head start on the day. Right. Well, yeah, you know, you and you've got your day job, too. So. Right. You know what I'm saying it's like not like you're relying on this for for income. I mean, luckily, I don't rely on. You know, I basically get my insurance, car insurance and my my car payment, car insurance and, you know, maybe gas money for the amount of money my books come in. Like, I certainly couldn't live on that. Um, right. But then I, I don't pub I don't also don't do anything like I don't push my book. I don't push anything like people are buying it just because they know me and they see me on on. Am I mean, on um, they see me on YouTube. So periodically, you know, I, I sell several books a day and that's it. But it's not certainly not because they're advertising or, or me ever. I really only really never even really talk about my book, really, that I can really think of, like a not in years. So I actually um, have three of your books. I I, I know but that's because you saw me on YouTube. Right. It's like me selling paintings. Like if I sold paintings based on my effort to sell paintings, I would sell nothing. But, you know, I. But people basically they watch the YouTube stuff, they like me, and they go and they see the paintings. And you know, as a result of the exposure, they see those paintings. If I didn't have YouTube, I probably wouldn't be selling any paintings. Not because I'm not, not any good at it, but there's no other than YouTube, there's just no real effort on my part to do anything. I would have to really start advertising or doing something. I would have to work avenues I just don't work. If you're interested in a painting, I'm going to leave my contact information in the description beneath the video. Back to the video. Um, so are you going to, are you writing an, uh, any additional books or? Yes, I actually have. So um, remember we were talking earlier how my original plan was for my book to be a prison thriller. Um, I actually have a third book coming out in on August 12th. So depending on when this airs. Um, may be available already. Um, but that actually is, that's the sequel to my first book, Ice Rising. It's called Ice Box. And that actually is a prison thriller. Okay. I mean, you know, it's it's set in the early 90s in a prison that doesn't exist in California. So I'm not stepping on too many toes um, where I'm at. And then I'm actually working on a collection of short stories right now. So that's my fourth work. So why not? Why do you? Why fiction? Why not write nonfiction? I've been told I'm a good storyteller. Right, but I mean, I. I but I mean, I. It's that's the whole thing. I. I um, I was actually talking to a guy that I'm. I'm gonna have come on. You know, I have. I have another channel, and I was gonna have him come on, and do the other channel, and we were talking and. And I was saying to him, he'd be good at it because he is a good storyteller. 
-hmm. Like even though the story is pretty complicated, she can tell it. I know guys that can't tell a story at all. Like it's like mm -hmm. you have a very simple case and they cannot tell their, their, their crime story or their story in general, even what happened. But if you're a good storyteller, like I can tell, you know, the guy Juan. Yeah. Okay. I tell Juan's story better than Juan does. I tell, I tell Zach's story better than Zach tells it. And, you know, they're getting better. Like Juan actually did a really good job. He did a um, interview on my channel and he did a great job like on the other channel. The first time when he did it on my channel, he was horrible. He went on concrete. Same thing. Did still didn't do it. But he's told it so many times over that the next year or so. He said, I've told it so many times now. He when he went upstairs and we're sorry, upstairs. My I have a studio upstairs. When he went upstairs and did it upstairs, he did a great job. It was the same thing with Boziak. Boziak just did a uh, did one too. He did an amazing job. What I'm saying is, you know, you're saying you're you make it sound like you have to be telling fiction to tell a good story, but maybe you can, you know, you hear a you look into a real story and you're able to tell it because the person that actually lived that story has a very hard time actually being able to tell their story. Mm -hmm. You know, most people simply don't see themselves the way they really are. And a right. lot of people can't even tell you their own story or their own crime case or a story. They can't do it. Like they, they get emotional about it. They start going on and on about things that are irrelevant. Then things that are super relevant, they, they breeze through. Oh yeah. 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 And they, it, it, this guy got caught and then he, uh, he cooperated, he wore a wire and then that's how they got me. It's like, okay, you just spent, 20 minutes talking about this other thing that's irrelevant and you just breeze through the crux of how you got caught like that. So, I mean, a good storyteller would know I have to play that up. I have to really, really look into that. I have to, you know, I, I have to really craft that part of the story and look into it and tell it and make it exciting. And right. So the only reason I say that is that those, those true crime stories are, easier to get turned into documentaries and films than fiction stories right so you bring up an interesting yeah. point because i mean obviously you know you hear about all these true stories like you know catch me if you can wolf of wall street um casino american and, you know, Gangster, it's all american hustler true crime stories but obviously you know you get like i mean in this case we're talking about you know storytelling through a movie you know it's just made so much like so much even more epic right Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that if Frank Lucas sat down and told his story, it would take all of him 20 minutes and you'd be bored to death. But, you know, you give it to, you know, someone like, you know, Martin Scorsese or something. He tells a story. It's three hours long and you're you're desperate for it not to end. Let's, you know? have, him play, let's have Denzel Washington play him. You know, right. Helps. Yeah. Same story. Same story. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I would not that you need my advice or anything. I, I'm just curious to, to know. I mean, cause the first few books that I wrote were, 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 um, fiction books. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was when I was out. I, I like, I wrote them, put them in a drawer, never tried to pop, never did anything. It was just something to do, you know, cause fraud wasn't really like a full-time job. So I had plenty of time on my hands, but, um, whatever but happened, was, huh? Whatever happened to those? You know, one was called The Associates. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually have a copy of it somewhere. 
I actually had both. One was the associates and one was, um, and it was kind of like a, jo a John Grisham novel. And the other one was, um, come on, man. Oh, it's called the acquisition of Cuba. And it was about a, a private military, like black, uh, Blackwater. What is Blackwater now? They changed their name, right? Uh, I believe they, they did. Yeah. Well, anyway, like it was like a Blackwater style company that basically invades Cuba mm -hmm. and takes over Cuba. Um, so, you know, it was just, there was just, I, I just, you know, something to kind of something ideas that I had and I, you know, wrote a 300 page book on it and typed it out and then never did anything with them. You know, probably if I had more time on my hands, I'd probably give those to, you know, you can just hire somebody on um, like offer up not offer up. What am I saying? What it's called? Uh, is it Upwork? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, no, like I you, don't know that. You can go on like LinkedIn or, or I want to say it's Upwork. Um, and you can, you can post like a job offering for someone to edit your book. I had someone edit uh, It's Insanity, the Frank Amadeo story. Yeah, I have that one. Yeah. I had somebody edit that for me. I think she charged like three or 400 bucks. You know, she was a stay at home mom. She had been a professional editor, but now she had like two kids and she did this on the side. She read the book over two days and made like three or $400 or whatever, you know, that was it. And she was like, she came back and caught a bunch of typos and little things and said, Hey, you never, you need to clarify this, or you said this twice or whatever, caught a bunch of great stuff. And that was it. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's it's um it's I definitely think it's Upwork, Upwork. We gotta check. We gotta check, Upwork. Yeah, I'm know. blessed. I have a buddy that edits my uh, he edits my books for fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yep Upwork. Find the best people for your job right there. Upwork. Um. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say I, I could do that. Um, anyway, I'm working on, like, I'm working on two books right now. So, or two stories right now. One of them is right. this chip story, which has taken forever because my buddy, uh, Rossini in prison's helping me with it. And he's, it's, you know, he, he has to know every single detail and has to order this. And we need these four articles and we need this. And you got to order the transcripts for this and pull the docket. for the song. my guy's just going on. Uh, Plus the phone clicks off every 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can, well, look, do you guys, you guys have like an email system, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can email, we can email. Um, but he does research. Uh, and, um, you know, my buddy Zach's story, I have a, I have someone who's actually helping me write up an outline for Zach's story. His story would be great. He's in, he's in jail right now. He can't still can't manage to write his story. Like you have nothing but time on your hands. I'll bet you're playing dominoes all day long or chess or whatever it is. Maybe he's fighting his case. He's not fighting his case. He's eating, he's eating, uh, he's eating um, honey buns and watching Jerry Springer reruns. No, you know what these guys do. I, I, you know, they play chess, they play chess. Listen, probably the worst thing I've ever saw. One of the worst things in prison was, watching these guys play chess and 
they had turned a game of culture <laughs> and, and and you know played by by kings and and the aristocracy and they turned it into just like dice they're yelling at each other uh in your face motherfucker i got your bitch i'm in your fucking house now yeah uh uh uh, yeah, that. what you gonna do now? It's like, what are you doing? I've I mean, seen that. Oh, it's horrible. Oh man, it, it, it's hilarious, especially when you're bored and you just kind of see two guys, and you know they're not gonna fight. You know, but... oh, they're getting their each other's face, and oh, I've seen I've seen guys fight. I'm getting <laughs> like pull out a pen and go and stab the other guy. I was in the county jail and I saw this uh, Puerto Rican guy uh, stab a, a a black this black kid he was playing. And, you know, they were both mouthing off like they always do. But the next thing you know, the Puerto Rican guy just grabbed the pin and just, cha, cha, you know, hit him a few times. And the next thing you know, there's blood and they're, they're chasing each other around. And I was like, this is a game uh, played by the upper crust of society. This is a game of thought. This is a game of strategy. You guys are mouthing off like children. Horrible. What pieces would you be on the board? Me? <laughs> what? <laughs> what piece would I be? No, no, them. What? Huh? What piece would they be on the? What piece would they be on the board? The pawns. Oh, I don't know. The knights—they're cutting left and right. They're—they're—it's bad. It's bad. There's just—it's just a horrible, horrible species. Um, uh, oh, I think about it all the time. Listen, we were talking about God, the stuff you you must see too. Like I was just thinking, like you know, they're draining or what's that? Is it Lake Mead or something where the water levels going down? They keep finding all these bodies. Yeah, like which is a horrible species, drowning each other, putting blocks on people, throwing them out in, in the in the in the lakes. I mean, they're just coming bodies after bodies after bodies, like. What a horrible, horrible species we are. It's hard to be a humanist these days. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in prison. I mean, seeing the stuff you've probably seen, these guys are just, they're just maniacs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting, like the psychology behind everything. I mean, when we come in, they tell us, listen, it's a game. They break the rules and we catch them. I was like, okay. And but you just watch these guys that they, they come in and they just, you know, they do just the stupidest stuff, like, you know, take like, like they'll, they'll steal more from the chow hall or they'll just like blatantly lie. And it's like it's like, but you're playing a game. It's like, dude, like this is your life. You're playing a game with your life. Yeah. You know, like I'm not going to knock somebody that comes to prison. You know, I mean, everybody makes mistakes, but like take it take your life seriously You're, you don't get younger yeah you don't stay static you keep getting older yeah and you know it it's sad when you get to the point where i was there long enough i'm starting to see guys come back oh i've done that i've seen guys leave uh, come back do another bid come back on violation come back get out come back again on violation i mean 13 years it was like what are you doing Right, doing but, yeah, life, uh, we call it doing life on the installment plan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's... and and it, it gets to the point. Like I, I try to reach some of the new guys, and it's like, 
you know, I see a bunch of lifers. I'll point one out, like, you know, that guy's been in prison since 82. And I know, I know you've probably heard these conversations. It gets to the point where some of these guys, where they talk about, they start talking about, um, you know, yeah, I was on first street, you know, first street, uh, over by the McDonald's. Yeah. I know the McDonald's. Yeah. Then a few years go by and they don't realize that that McDonald's is shut down. Like it's a Wendy's now. And then later on, they're talking about streets like that. That street's not even, that's not even the street name anymore. And then it just gets to the point. They just talk about the prisons they've been at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was at, you know, such and such prison, man. They were straight. Food was pretty good. No, it wasn't straight. The food wasn't good. You know, it's not like here. It's like, no, it's all bad. It's up. It's it's bad everywhere you go. It's like, it's like you know, it happens to us too. It happens to like staff. Like like you walk in and it's like your. I think it's. I think your brain's adapting to it. You just adapt to your environment. Otherwise, you go crazy. So like we walk in, we're just in there for hours, and we'll you know we'll be like you know I ask some guy, hey what's on the uh, what's for lunch today? Uh, pizza. I'm like oh that's good. No, it's not good. It's it, it it it's still bad. It's still bad. Right. And I'm <laughs> I'm getting mad at my coworkers because they'll be eating something. Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This could be better. I'm like, dude, like, not for nothing. But we're COs, you know. We have like vending machines we can use. Options. You can bring food from home. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Listen, the vending machines and, and visitation were better than anything we were eating in the inside, but. But to be honest, you know, the food wasn't, it just wasn't as bad. There were some meals that were just horrible, but it was mm-hmm. never as bad as I really thought. Like, I really thought it was just going to be slop. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, you see the movies. That's what right. I thought. It was. I thought it was going to be like something that looked like oatmeal with some meat in it. Right. You know, every meal. And I got there and it, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. And periodically there was a decent meal. And I, I never felt like I, you, you hear guys complain all the time and, you know, it's like, you know, honestly, when you were robbing banks, what did you think they were going to feed you when you got caught? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. what, what do you expect? And I, so I, I never I tried my best just to never complain about anything because, you know, I put myself here and, you know, I, I should have thought, you know, should have thought things through a little bit better. And, you know, right. so I wasn't going to complain about it. Um, but, you know, it's funny, too, because I'll hear guys say guys will tell me about um you know being locked up and they're always like you know like yeah that's ridiculous you know they're locking these guys up and they it's you know so unfair and this and that and i was thinking and it's always some guy who's like never been to prison Mm because it's like wait a minute listen i've been to prison trust me these guys need to be locked up like you don't want these guys living in your neighborhood like i didn't want to get out and say hey i want to go I want to go move in next to so-and-so and and this guy. And, you know, that no, no, very few guys do I want to still be friends with and know the other guys I could really prefer never to see again. And if I did see him again, I would immediately think I'm being robbed because most of those guys, and I say most, let's say 70, 80% of those guys are actively working on their next case. Right. You know, they're not in there trying to say, Hey, I'm going to better myself. Or if they are, a lot of them, some of them are, but a lot of them are in there. They're just, they're delusional. Like they're not, they're, they're thinking, I'm going to go out, I'm going to open a chain of restaurants and I'm going to, how are you going to do that? Like, like you need to be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Could that happen? Yes, but be reasonable. It's just, 
you know, it's, it's just, it's tough. And, and, you know, they're just, you get in there and yeah, you can get into a good routine and there are decent people in there, but there's a lot of guys that you just don't want. You just don't want to be around. Right. Yeah. I've, we got all kinds, you know, I mean, I definitely don't want to go back. Right. Right. No, you, no, you don't, you know, you gotta, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, self-worth, you know, a lot of guys, you know, especially guys that with drug problems, you know, it's, it's a self-worth issue. You know, they don't realize that they can, you know, be more than what they are. You know, they just kind of settle for it, especially in prison, you know, because it's like, you know, um, you, you, you go to prison and it's like, okay, you know, well, I'm here now. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Guess I guess I'll stop trying. Right. You know, I'm a, I'm a prisoner now. I'm a convict. I'm a criminal. It's like, I mean, you know, I mean, are you a criminal or did you just do something? You know, do, do you just have a felony? It depends. A lot of them want to turn it. They want to make it their life's, you know, mission. Like I'm going to get out and they, they want to do it again and again. The problem is ultimately you then either end up in prison for your entire life. You die in prison or you get so old that by the time you get out, you have no retirement. You have nobody. You've, everybody's given up on you. You're living mm-hmm. in someone's spare room. You're on some kind of subsidy and you're bitching and moaning the whole time about how unfair life has been to you. But you never really made an effort. Right. You know, a lot of these guys are just right. And that's, you I know, mean, I would, I would see them and you can, you know, it's just funny for me to see them and see what was happening and you can explain it to them and just watch them make the same bad decisions over and over again. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, this is know, depressing. We're all creatures of habit. And that's more of like, you know, prison's definitely like an extreme example of that. You know, like I know, you know, with with officers, there's, you know, obviously prison's a negative environment. Most people, whether they are incarcerated or whether they work there, probably would rather be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I know a few people that's not the case, but, uh, you know, it's easy to give way to that, that negativity. You know, you yeah. see in our staff, you know, whatever with whatever's going on, if they're having a problem with administration or just the job or, you know, a beef with another coworker. And it's like, you know, dude, at the end of the day, and I used to be like that, you know, I I used to be, you know, uh, I used to be very disgruntled. And I just realized like, dude, you know, we choose to come in here every day, you know? And um, I talked to a lot of guys that, they want to leave, but say, okay, you know, but I mean, you know, you can either, um, see the advantage of where you're at and you, you know, understand that it is, it does pay well. You can raise a family off it. I am, um, you know, you can see the positives. There's good people there, or you can just focus on the negative all day. But at the end of the day, dude, you know, you are leaving at some point. Right. So there's no point in, uh, harping on it. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do they are do they allow tattooing? So this is completely off subject, but no, you're not allowed to tattoo. No tattooing, none but, whatsoever. But, but but people tattoo, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. I mean, it was it was just funny because in the low, they really were cracking down on like 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 
they were always looking for guys or where'd you get, you know, a guy it was always killed me. And some guy would get a fresh tattoo and be walking around the compound. <laughs> what are you doing? And the next thing you know, they right. get grabbed and they get, they get a shot for uh mutilation. Right. Yeah. And then, and then like, who did it? Where are, you know, and then they go in there, you know, they start looking at the cameras. They try to see where he went. They, um, but in the medium, like literally the tattoo guy would go up to the, would go to the, the CO and say, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I tattoo. Like, I don't want to do it. Be blatant about it. You know, what are your feelings on it? And the, and the CEO would be like, listen, I don't give a shit what you do, but the lieutenant's going to come by here between seven and seven forty-five. <laughs> so you need to get a lookout, wow. man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because when you first get to, to the, to the prison, you have to talk to what's called SIS. It's like the mm -hmm. special investigative unit. They kind of, they invest, they do investigations, but they also investigate the guards. Um, and they, they all give you a speech. And I, I remember the speech that I was given because uh, every inmate gets it. Like you come in, you meet with medical, you meet with psychology, you meet with, you know, just real quick, boom, boom, you know, thinking about hurting yourself. If you have any health issues and then the next guy, and then you get this, the SIS comes in to see if you have like a gang affiliation that sort of thing. And I remember he looked, uh, I, when I came from the medium to the low, he said, Cox, you're going to be okay here. And, and I said, I went, okay. And he said, um, he said, he said, let me, he said, I'm gonna put it to you like this. And I said, I said, okay. He said, I'm gonna put it to you like this. He goes at the pen. We're trying to keep the, he goes, we're trying to keep the inmates from stabbing us. He is at the medium. We're trying to keep the inmates from stabbing each other. He is at the low. We're trying to keep the inmates following the rules. He said, follow the rules. You're going to be okay. He is in from based on your record. He said, it looks like you follow the rules. You know, like I never got any shots or anything. So and I was like, all right, that was it. So that's what I'm saying. Like at the medium, like to, as far as I know, like guys at the pen, they said the guards will walk right by. You're, you know what I'm saying? They, they're just like, like I just, we're just trying not to get hurt. Oh man. Um, um yeah, I can't. Yeah, if I caught that, yeah, that'd be a that'd be a whole thing. Actually, it's funny you're talking about tattooing. Um, I remember one time I was uh, searching for contraband, and I was checking um, a locker. I don't know. It, I, I don't know about about the lockers that y'all had. Um, you know, like, like a school locker, just it's prison, and like at the top, there's like an inside ridge. Yeah. You know, that guys can hide yourself in. And like an idiot, I slid my fingers. Oh, stuck yourself? Stuck myself. I was like, ow. And I was like, oh, shit. And I, and I checked. It was a tattoo needle. That was maybe the scariest moment of my life. Now, I mean, if I go in there tomorrow and I get punched in the face. Right. I signed up with the possibility that that might happen. I might get punched in the face. I'm fine with that. But, you know, I got, you know, wife at home. You know, yeah, so yeah. If I'm getting stuck. So, you know, because, you know, they talk about HIV and, you know, hepatitis and all that. So went to the hospital and uh, got updated on my tetanus shots. That was awesome. And then they took blood from me, um, gave me something else to take. And then I had to go back about five times over the next six months just to make sure I was still negative on everything. Mm. Thank God I am, you know, but. Yeah, that that terrified the hell out of me. 
And then I think the other time was like when COVID hit and it's like, oh, everybody's getting sick. Like, I don't want to take this home. I don't mind something happening to me there. It, it, I mean, I, I don't want to die, but I don't mind something happening to me there. I, you know, I, I made peace with the fact that it could, but just, I just don't want to take anything home. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, my buddy Pete said that the, the COs were getting sick constantly mm -hmm. too. You know, the inmates too, the inmates obviously, but the, the COs too, because, you know, they're coming in and out of the same environment over and over and over again. And guys are retiring and said, then guys were not wanting to show up. Then they were threatening to fire him. Then they were, it was just like, he was, you know, uh, he's, my buddy said, he said, I, I, I feel like I know more about what's going on than the, the CEOs that are here. It's like, they're, you know, they're so new. The job is, you know, what you make it. Right. You know, you want to take it as a job. You want to take it as a stepping stone. You want to take it as a career, you know, um, I've been all kinds. You know, I've thought stepping stone, I thought career, and now, you know, for me, um, for me, it's a job. I respect it as a job. I'm asked to, you know, I'll do what I'm asked, and I'll do what I'm required to do. But, you know, when I kind of came upon writing, I really realized that, you know, there was another path for me. Mm -hmm. I think in a similar way, you know, you probably came across the same yourself when you started writing stories, you know, you just kind of realized you know, that, you know, God or, you know, whatever you want to believe in, there's, you know, a different, you know, there's a different path that you didn't expect. And I was a late bloomer, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. 29. I was 25 when I started, when I picked up and started writing, I used to hate it, you know, like in school, they'd have you write essays and all that. And I hated it. And then I kind of just realized how, you know, good I was at it. Yeah, I, so, I like the research and putting things together and being able to tell a story in a certain way. And, right. you know, I like the foreshadowing and, and leading and the, you know, the, the I like the research. And yeah, it, it definitely gave me a, a, especially in prison. It's like, it's what got me through. It was like, right. Listen, towards the end, like I, I was indifferent as far as leaving, you know, it was like I was I was perfectly OK in there. Kind of mm -hmm. what, what we were talking about, um, you know, it becomes your whole world like. And that's, you know, that's, that's what it had become because I just didn't really, you know, after, you know, it was by, by probably after about five, about six or seven years, it was like, I had a great routine and I was okay. You know, I right. wanted out, you know, you want out, but right. it wasn't as depressing of an environment as, as it had been that entire time. And then that was about the same time I really started getting into writing, you know, so I need to write more, you know, so, yeah. but it's, all right. it's, it's, it's definitely a balancing act. I mean, you know, you're really, you know, you're a busy guy, you know, I'm a busy guy. It's definitely a balancing act. Um, I feel with the whole, like being in, like kind of just being indifferent about being in there, you used to dread it, you know, you used to hate it. Now it's just like, okay, you know, like this is something I'm just dealing with until, you know, I get to the next step. That's kind of the stage that I'm in now, you know? Um, I've got nothing but respect for the job. You know, it's pays my bills, honest work, you know, it's, you know, it, it's true. You know, they are kind of like, you know, unsung heroes, you know, keeping the scary guys locked up and stuff. Right. Um, me personally, I'm ready to make the transition. Um, and for me, that's kind of what I'm working on now. You know, like I kind of realized that writing is my career. Um, this is like a respectable job and I respect it as such. Do you mind if I kind of, uh, 
gets my exposure for my books out. Yeah, right quick. I mean, yeah, plug plug the book, I, and yeah. and I'll put I'll put the uh, you know in the description I'll put the I'll make sure Colby puts the links to the books, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so definitely anything any social media or the books, you know, you can find them on Amazon, right? What are the names? Yep, yep. I've actually got copies uh, right here, so when people see the image, they'll know what to click on. Um, this is my. Uh, you just stopped. You froze. Grows up in, you know, rough area. He's taught, you know, stay off the street, protect your family. You know, a drive by happens that claims the life of one of his friends, wounds his little brother, and he decides he blames himself. So he takes it upon himself to join a gang. And he's a he's got a genius talent for business. So he used that to further his criminal exploits. That's the misused potential. It's part of an ongoing series. Um, this is the first one, Ice Rising. Ice Box is on the way. It'll be released uh, August 2012. Both these books are available on Kindle and uh, Kindle Unlimited, for those of you that have that. Also available on paperback. I also have my other book, um, The Ballad of Johnny Carlo. That's the story of a... Uh, uh, an ex-hitman for the Mafia who becomes disillusioned with the Mafia, goes on the run, runs down to Orleans, where you meet Leisha Abraham, who is the homicide detective investigating a series of gangland slayings in New Orleans. And her investigation is complicated by the fact that one of the leaders of the gangs is her own father. So that's available on Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, um, paperback, and I also have hardcover so definitely check it out um you can follow me on my uh facebook author page james michaels i'm also on um instagram same thing james e michaels for my middle initial and james real mike on twitter okay i also had a uh a crime fiction true crime book club called books and crooks on facebook for readers and writers of crime fiction, true crime, we can kind of get together and mingle and network. So, all right. It. And I'll, I'll put all the, in all the description, uh, all the uh, links will be in the description. So, you know, if you shoot me that over, I'll have Colby put everything in the descriptions. All right. I appreciate you guys checking out the video and do me a favor. If you like the video, uh, share the, share it, uh, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. So you get notified. Uh, also, leave me a comment. I try and respond to as many comments as I possibly can. And I appreciate you checking out the um, checking out the video. So or podcast or whatever. See you.